Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I'm Jason Scorse, I hope you're doing great. So, uh, today's episode is on Biden's whole government approach to climate. And this is a pretty positive episode. You know, over the last four plus years, not the majority of news has been positive. So it's really nice to be on the the plus side of the ledger here. So obviously, we lost a lot of time, you know, four whole years during Agent Orange's rule, uh, and really went backwards on all things climate-related, and things are getting pretty dire, right? We're seeing, you know, this acceleration of extreme weather, you know, record warming, we're starting to see some ocean currents changing, and this is pretty intense stuff. Big movements in glaciers. So, you know, all the science pointing in one direction and one direction only. So, Biden's approach here is now the best chance we have to get the U.S. back on track quickly. So, before I get into outlining Biden's approach and how comprehensive it is, I just want to begin by pointing out that Boris Johnston in the UK, you know, he's in some ways, you know, analogous to Trump with his lying, his bombacity, you know, the idiocy in Brexit, a lot of racism. But right now, as we speak, his government is championing the Green New Deal, a UK version of the Green New Deal. He's going all in on green policy. And the equivalent of Fox News in the UK is promoting it. So just let that sink in, right? A very conservative party in Europe is putting climate change and green energy policy at the top of their agenda and really putting some political capital into it. And I start with this just to show and demonstrate how much of an outlier the modern Republican Party is. It is an extremist fascist cult. Most people don't realize how extreme it is, right? If you're just steeped in American politics, you could just think that all conservative parties around the world are, you know, anti-climate, anti-science, anti-gay, anti-immigrant, pro-gun, anti-women's rights. But it's just not the case. And in fact, in Europe, conservative parties are really, in, in some cases, leading the way on green energy policy. So just wanted to point that out. And again, kudos to Boris Johnson. Um, you know, I, um, I'm not a big fan of his, but hey, if he's going big on green, you know, kudos to him. So back to the U.S. and Biden. Obviously, one of the first things Biden did was he got the U.S. back in the Paris Agreement. It was nice that the Paris Agreement had this four-year clause so that when, when Trump uh, took us out, we still had the potential with the new administration to get us back in, and that's just what we did. And so we are back in the Paris uh, Climate Accords, and you know we will be representing and pushing hard to get back in the international community's good graces. So that's a start. It's not, you know, 
the whole deal, but it's a good start. But what is really novel about Biden's approach is, again, this whole government approach to addressing climate change. This has never been done before in U.S. history, and it's rare even by global standards. There aren't a lot of governments taking this comprehensive approach. So what does this mean, you know, in practice? This means he's directing all the agency heads. And what's important here is that these are people he doesn't need Congress's approval. Right? These are people he's appointed to lead the Department of Energy, the Department of Transportation, the Department of the Interior, people at the top of the military, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of uh, Urban, uh, you know, Housing and Urban Development. Right, So everyone in the executive branch is being told that their mandate is to incorporate uh, climate change thinking into their policy. And I'm going to outline some really practical ways that is coming to pass. Some of them are, are pretty intuitive, right? You know, Pete Buttigieg is now the, you know, the head of the Department of Transportation. He has a lot of money and discretion on setting policy for, you know, everything from shipping to airports to roads. And he's going to use that power and his budget to push things in a green direction. And that's going to have big impacts because the U.S. government is very large and has a lot of money and a lot of purchasing power. And so all of these agencies in, in a coordinated fashion are working in concert. This can lead to really big changes in the market and the market demand for green products, which again will then spur more innovation. It'll spur, spur more competition and ultimately more uh, you know, price reductions as these, these industries go from kind of infant industri industries to really developed and competitive industries. Now, the first thing I want to note that Biden did at the agency level, which is a little policy wonky, but I think it's, it's worth going through just to show, again, how he, they're doing everything they can and the, how it's going to have pretty big impacts across the government. So what they did is they updated what's called the social cost of carbon. This is, again, a, an economics term that most people haven't heard of. I just want to outline it really quick. So the social cost of car carbon is an economic estimate of how much damage every ton of carbon emitted causes to the globe, to the economy, to people's health, to lost ecosystems, right? But is not currently priced into the market system. And that, hence, that's why it's called a social cost and not a market cost, right? So social costs are things that are externalized that do not actually get picked up in market signals. And this is an important metric, right? How much damage is being done by greenhouse gases and particularly carbon? And the way they do this is they, you know, they try to add up, you know, all the damage that climate change is doing and then kind of divide that by the amount of tons of carbon that is that's leading to that damage to come up with an average cost. Now, the estimates for the social cost of carbon vary widely, right? They're, they can be as low as $5 to as high as $1,000 plus. And I'm going to be honest here, I'm not a big believer in trying to monetize existential risks such as climate change. There's a, a kind of discussion debate within economics of should we really be looking at this through a kind of cost-benefit lens, saying, what are the costs of climate change? What are the costs of green energy and comparing the two? Or should we really think of climate change as an existential risk that we just need to stop at all costs 
And then economics can help us to figure out what's the best way to do it, but not to decide whether we do it in the first place. I am much more in that latter camp. And especially when you have social costs of carbon that can vary from $5 to 1000 it's not a very precise estimate. I'm not sure it has a lot of utility in, in, a, in a bigger context. But that being said, this number is used throughout government accounting systems to make decisions, and it's important. The Trump administration reduced the social cost of carbon to almost nothing. And the way they justified this, because you can't just do this willy-nilly, you have to make a justification, they said that they're going to only count harms to the U.S., not harms to the rest of the world in the social cost of carbon. This was their America First policy in its worst, most nativist form, that we don't care about all the damage that emissions from the U.S. cause to our allies, to the poor people of the world. We're only going to care about what happens to U.S. people. So the Biden administration has reversed that, and their estimate of the social cost of carbon is now in the 50-plus dollar range, you know, it was close to nothing under Trump. And so now they're also going to update it with new analysis in the coming months. They're they're saying we're going to go with this $50, you know, plus or minus, and we're going to, you know, do some more analysis and figure out if this is correct. Likelihood is, if anything, they will raise it. So then you want to, you know, you want to ask sensibly, how does this impact decisions? Okay, so what? That the Biden administration has a social cost of carbon that's 50-something dollars, and Trump administration had $5. Well, the higher the social cost of carbon, the less likely the government is to approve projects or decisions that negatively impact uh, the climate, right? And so, for example, if the Biden administration is going to have a decision on approving a new fossil fuel project on public lands, it's going to look at how much carbon is going to be emitted from that project and then count the social cost of carbon as a a negative impact of that project. And then it's going to look at the benefits of that project and weigh them. So the higher social cost of carbon makes it much less likely that fossil fuel projects get approved. Obviously, under the Trump administration, it was the reverse. It made it very likely since the social cost of carbon was close to zero. So again, this is a a very policy wonky kind of change. It's for government cost-benefit analyses and kind of actuarial tables but it has really big positive implications that really show Biden administration is serious about getting off of fossil fuels and getting us to a decarbonized system by 2050. So after the break, I'll outline uh, significantly more elements of this whole government approach that is really, again, impressive and gives us some hope. So what else has Biden done? On the executive branch level, he has created two new positions within the White House. One is Gina McCarthy, who used to run 
the Natural Resources Defense Council and also was the head of the EPA under Obama. She's an incredibly sophisticated, nuanced champion for climate change policy. And then John Kerry, as well, who I'm sure all of you know, again, you know, was head of the State Department, real, real champion in climate policy, you know, real, no-nonsense, highly respected figure. And they have two new positions. Gina McCarthy is in charge of kind of overseeing domestic approaches to climate change, and Kerry has the international portfolio. He'll probably be representing the U.S. at, you know, the Paris Accords and uh, in international negotiations. So these new positions, again, have never existed before, and they're kind of like climate czars. So he's already said, you know, within the White House, I'm putting two top people to oversee the entire administration's domestic and international portfolio. And again, both of these picks are outstanding and have tons of credibility. Something more tangible, very specific, that the administration has done is they have announced that the entire fleet of federal vehicles will be replaced by electric vehicles as they are, you know, as the turnover um, ensues over the coming years. Now, this is a really big deal because the federal fleet is hundreds of thousands of, you know, gasoline-powered cars and trucks. Think of the entire postal service being electric vehicles. So every day when, you know, the postman or woman comes down your block, instead of spewing fossil fuels, it's an all-electric vehicle. That's coming soon. That's a really big change. Again, hundreds and thousands of all-electric vehicles so that the U.S. government will be 100% zero-emissions vehicles um, in a relatively short time frame. On the regulatory front, some may remember that Obama introduced the Clean Power Plan at the end of his, his presidency. And this was the plan through the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to reduce greenhouse gases primarily in the electricity sector. It was a pretty ambitious plan, but it got stymied by the Trump administration since it was announced at the end of his two terms. It never went into effect. They, they got sued uh, by, you know, of course, Republican states, and then the Trump administration tried to nix it. So now observers were wondering, you know, would Biden bring back the clean power plan and just, you know, try to pick up where Obama had left off? Recently, the White House announced that it will not because it thinks that the clean power plan was not ambitious enough. And they are put, putting together an entirely new plan, again, showing that they are taking the offense and going big. Right. I mean, you know, to just say, hey, what Obama did five years ago, not big enough. We're going to start from scratch and go bigger. You know, that sends a pretty uh, a pretty big signal to the economy and to industry. Now, the biggest climate stuff that Biden has the potential to do is yet to come. And this is going to be in the big infrastructure bill that the administration is teeing up for after the COVID relief bill. So their, you know, their strategy was get a lot of money out there for COVID relief, vaccines, unemployment insurance. They're going to put in some great stuff for child, uh, child credits for poor families in particular to keep children out of poverty. So a lot of great stuff there. And then number two big spending item is going to be this big infrastructure plan. And from what I've been reading, they're trying to tee up another two to four trillion dollars in money for new grid infrastructure, uh, electrical vehicle charging stations across the country, hundreds of thousands of them, uh, renewable rebates and tax credits, job retraining for fossil fuel workers, 
uh, efforts for environmental justice to make sure that marginalized communities get you know cleaner air and get a disproportionate amount of the benefits since they've had a disproportionate amount of the harms to date. Of course, there's also going to be more traditional stuff in these in this infrastructure um, bill, like new airports and rural broadband. But I'm sure all of that will be at the highest environmental standards and also, you know, with a as low carbon footprint as possible. So think about this, right? You know, the Trump administration, it was the joke. They kept talking about infrastructure week for four years and they never put forth a plan because, again, it's just, a, you know, they were just con men and fraudsters and grifters. So it was the joke. Oh, is it not, it's another infrastructure week in the Trump administration. But luckily, they never passed anything because now that tees it up for Biden. People have been chomping at the bit to do a big infrastructure bill. Our infrastructure is crumbling in the United States. We need it. And so I'm super psyched that Biden is going to be in charge of putting that together. And even more importantly, this will likely be done through budget reconciliation again, which means that we only need the 50 Democrats to do it. And therefore, you know, the Republicans can't water it down with fossil fuel projects. Uh, something encouraging on that is that Joe Manchin, who's, you know, again, the conservative Democrat in West Virginia, a senator who's been, you know, one of the ones that people are a little wary about because he could sink a lot of stuff if he doesn't get on board uh, with the Biden plan. He's actually really bullish on infrastructure and really wants to do a big infrastructure bill because he wants to bring billions of dollars to West Virginia. That's great. We can help those coal miners there and revitalize the West Virginian economy and bring in, you know, wind power and solar. So there's a, you know, a lot of potential good stuff coming and that's the one to really look for because this is big money, right? This is trillions of dollars for new stuff that can really transform the entire US power system. And this is the type of big spending that will move markets and not be something that the next administration can undo. If America slips back into fascism, you know, in 2024. Now, if this passes, we'll have a real fighting chance. Because if you take all the coordination at the, you know, at the the administrative levels, all the different agencies, and then you put in this huge amount of money plus the new EPA rules on the power sector that are going to be coming out, this could really, really be big. And so the initial plan is, it seems like to push for an infrastructure bill this fall. So, you know, stay tuned on that. That's going to be a, um, a pretty big thing to watch. The final point I'll make here is that, you know, it, what's really fascinating is now that big car manufacturers see the writing on the wall, some of the car manufacturers that just two years ago were joining up with the Trump administration to fight back against uh, Obama's fuel efficiency standards, they're actually now completely flipping their tune and pledging to go 100% electric. So GE, which was partnering with the Trump administration, now says their entire fleet be electric by 2035. Jaguar started saying that too. And so a bunch of them are now competing to see who's going to be you know, all electric quicker. This is exactly the type of competition we want. And this means that you know in the next 10 to 15 years, you know the, the, app, the majority of cars being produced will be all electric vehicles. We're seeing huge improvements in battery technology, and it's just, you know, again, it's the virtual, the virtuous cycle that you see when everything is aligned, when government and industry align in a progressive direction, big things can, can happen. So um, this is the writing on the wall right now, is that 
Biden is going big on climate and that a lot of really good things are pretty much guaranteed to happen if we can just get our, um, you know, our pins in a row here lined up. So it's a real exciting time and uh, real good stuff on the horizon. So I'll come back with the antidote after the break. Okay, so the antidote for today. First, just to note the obvious here, elections have consequences. And overall, I think the climate change piece might be the most consequential change brought about by Biden's victory, right? Obviously, just about every element of American governance is changing because of Biden being in the White House instead of um, a second Trump administration. But climate change, again, we just don't have that much time. And four more years, we would have been officially out of the Paris climate agreement. We would have doubled down on fossil fuels, opening up all public lands to drilling and natural gas, reducing environmental regulations. That would have just been horrible. So just preventing the bad stuff is great. But now then you add to that all the things I just outlined, and there's just probably no dimension in which you see a greater contrast between the last administration and this one. So in terms of the antidote, be prepared to call your representatives when crucial bills come up. I'm going to keep you posted on this um, when really important bills are coming up, that there might be some tough votes that are climate change related. I will bring that to your attention and urge you all to call your representatives. On the personal front, on the personal kind of impact front, I want to just remind everyone that the best thing that you can do to reduce your climate impact and also all of your environmental impacts while also improving your health is to move towards a plant-based diet. I'll have another show on developments in that space later on in the year because there's just so much fascinating technology and just really amazing stuff going on in kind of plant-based nutrition and alternative proteins. But if anyone wants personalized help making that transition to a plant-based diet, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I'm pretty connected to the industry. I know the good products. Just email me. You can send me an email from the uh, Zombie Dispatch website, and um, I'll I'll set up a call with you, and I'll walk you through and help you to make that transition because it's really my life's mission above and beyond everything that I'm interested in, is to help protect and honor all sentient beings and end this factory farming system that is a moral and environmental abomination. So happy to help if you, uh, you want to seek that out. So with that, everybody, I hope you have a great rest of the week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And with that, everybody, take care. Be well.